they also learned they didn't have to have some expert telling them what scripture said. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessary. Like I said the simple truth simply obeyed became a very early motto that we had and that simple we used truth, all the time. Simply obeyed. Yeah, it, and it it you know it wasn't this wasn't rocket science so to speak. It wasn't it wasn't theology. This was about the Bible. It wasn't about man's opinion of the Bible that we were learning. We were learning the Bible. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple makers. Welcome to the CDM Podcast. I'm Beck Ewing here with David Watson on our episode for today, Discovering the Discovery Bible Study. Like, share, five-star rate, and review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash faithworks, or click on the link in the description. To those of you who support this podcast, thank you. Your support helps us put tools in the hands of men and women like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their own neighborhood. So, hello, David. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. So, I'm really excited about our topic today, discovering the Discovery Bible Study, because I'm sure this was a journey uh, as you are starting movement amongst the Bujpuri and uh, and seeing God work in, in great ways. And I know that we referred to in the past about how everything was a learning process as you go through and took a lot of strategy and you know, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of praying and a lot of guidance from God. And, and, and I'm sure that it was, it was quite the journey. So how did you first start using the elements of the discovery Bible process? Well, the first step was we realized that Western teaching models were not going to help in a, in a culture that was 90 plus percent illiterate. Mm-hmm. And that even those who had had schooling, usually about the third or fourth grade would as far, was about as far as they'd gotten. And so a teaching model where you have them sitting in front of you and teaching or preaching just wasn't, uh, wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing we've learned since then is it doesn't work with people sta- sitting in churches in America or anywhere else <laughs> either. It's interesting. It's <laughs> even literate ones that doesn't really work all that great either. <laughs> yeah, I actually had a, a group of uh, seven megachurch leaders uh, in, in, a, in a meeting with me, and we were trying to help them understand that that uh, preaching was not going to disciple their people. Mm-hmm. I said, no, no, no. We, we disciple from the pulpit every Sunday. And I said, well, let me test that. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me what you were teaching six months ago. Mm-hmm. And they're all sitting there quietly and they're looking around trying yeah. to create something <laughs> in their head. And I said, no, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Well, let's see, you studied for this, you prepared it, you preached it, and you usually preached it two or three times on a Sunday, not just once. Yeah, special learning. And churches. and six months later, you can remember nothing. Well, let's let's cut it in half. Three months. Still, nobody Still can remember three months. There. Let's cut it in half again. Six weeks. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them come up with their their overall theme for their mm-hmm. preaching series for that six weeks, but they couldn't come up with the actual data. I said, well, how about two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And still, two weeks they could not come up with the outline. Right. 
that they that they had prepared and presented multiple times mm-hmm. and were turning into their next book right uh, that that they could not they could not come up with it i said now the person sitting in the pew that has every distraction under the planet you know mm-hmm. and over the planet in it mm-hmm. from internal thought life to the girl that walked down the aisle to to whatever it is Mm-hmm. And, and you're expecting them to learn that which you can't remember after two weeks. And you're the one who came up with the sermon in the first place. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And so as, as I began to, even in my own life, as I started looking back at, uh, you know, I'd bought into that. You can disciple from the pulpit thing. I mean, we were taught mm-hmm. it in seminary and I tried it. And I, and um, I mean, people love my churches, loved it because I, I mean, they got a, they basically got a seminary education. They hung around long enough. Mm-hmm. But but the bottom line was, uh, like all educations, if you don't use them to teach other people, you don't remember them at all. Yeah. I mean, you, you can go back and, I mean, I studied enough math to, to discover the universe, but I can't remember it now because mm-hmm. it's been 60 years, well, 50 years since I was in a university math course. So it's... Uh, exactly. Well, we've forgotten what it's like what discipleship really is over time that we, if we just substituted it with only preaching, those have two completely different purposes. And it's good for us to get back to how Jesus discipled his disciples. And in a preaching process, you don't get correction. Right. You, right? You, you, get, no accountability. You, get, you get content, but you don't get, you don't get correction mm-hmm. and you don't get reinforcement because you don't turn around and preach that sermon to someone else. Mm-hmm. There's so many things going on in the in the learning process that do not happen with a sermon and a and a listener. Absolutely. Listening is our least effective form of learning. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we all go through schools listening and trying to go home and do our homework then. We learn from our homework. We didn't learn from the from the lecture at school. Right, right. Because at homework we had to write it down. We had to write all those multiplication problems and write those stories and write those things and then get them corrected. Then we would rewrite them. And and the same thing happened when you were doing dissertations. I mean, you sit there and you write the thing. You think you've done it well. You turn it in the committee and they come back with 45 things they want you to change. Right. right. You go back through and you you rewrite it and it goes back in. You may have to rewrite it two or three times. I got a friend right now who's on his seventh rewrite of his dissertation. And he's a good writer, but he's not a but he's not an English writer. So well, he's in an go. English school, but his but his native tongue is French. Well, I mean, I was a I was a homeschooler growing up, and I was expected to read a book, understand a book, learn the stuff from it, and take tests from it. And so when I started going into traditional classroom settings in college, where it's a typical you sit there and you listen. I remember sitting here, you know, having read the night before, come in, take the tech quiz. And I'm sitting here, why are they telling me the same thing that I just read inside of the, inside of the book? And I quickly learned, that's why nobody reads any of the assignments. They, the, <laughs> and so what that does is it, it takes the ownership away from the person who is learning and just makes them very passive as they sit there and just, I just have to regurgitate some of what this person just said. Well, actually in my, in my junior and senior year at university, I talked teachers into letting me double book classes 
So I'd be, I'd be booked for two classes at the same time period. And I would go to each one of them, see if I can negotiate. If I can pass your test today, will you give me the grade that I pass it with? And they all say, well, you can't pass the test. You haven't taken the class. I said, if I, if I can't pass the test, you flunk me and I will retake the class. And I, I never made less than an A because all I did, I chose the teachers who had written the textbook, read their textbook, and then took the test. Yeah, and yeah. I read the textbook the day before I took the test, so my short-term memory is really good, or was really good, not so good now. <laughs> I can't even remember. Do I have to think, did I put my shoes on this morning? But, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it's a way of learning, and we get, we get good at it when we practice it all the time. And I became an outstanding test taker. My wife's just the opposite. She she learns everything. Mm-hmm. She doesn't forget anything. She learns it all. I mean, she studies until it's hers. And I studied to pass the test. Well, well, you know, the, the difference of uh, learning styles and, and desirability there. <laughs> but when we're thinking about the beginning of, of this work here um, with the, the Butch Purry, things like that. How did you first start using the discovery Bible process? Well, we, we knew that we had to get away for us to get away from a teaching model. I mean, that right. became apparent very, very early that a teaching model is not going to work with oral people. Sure. And there were a lot of oral methods being espoused at that time. Most of them weren't uh, very effective because they basically had literate people teaching oral people to memorize oral stories to tell to other oral people. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of was the orality movement back in, back in the, in the seventies and eighties. And so as I, as I began to look at that, I said, look, this has to be reproducible without someone always having to come back around and reteach it. Mm-hmm. And, and it has to be beyond just memorization. It has to be, it has to be something that's called group learning. Mm-hmm. And as I began to study group learning, it beca- became fascinating because uh, I, have, I have some very complex uh, oil paintings and photographs that I could put up on a screen for 15 seconds and shut it down. And no one person could remember the whole painting. But mm-hmm. if there were 10 to 20 people in the room, they could completely remember the entire painting. So what happened was is you have a, you have a group process that comes back to an individual process and then goes back out to the whole group. So the group is bits and pieces. Then it comes down, everybody learns the bits and pieces. And then the whole group has the whole picture and not just their bit or piece of the picture. And as we, as we began to learn these learning processes, and I was doing a lot of study on how we learn, began to realize that basically the way I'd learned my whole life was the worst possible way to learn anything. Essentially, classroom education is very is at best a individualistic kind of way of learning. Yeah, and and particularly if it was lecture based only, which much right. of our much of our university and high school lives were all lecture based, mm-hmm. and minimally supported with some sort of reading outside the class. But you know, there were two styles there. It was it was supplemental reading, or it was reading the same stuff over again. Those are the two styles. Mm-hmm. And supplemental reading didn't work because reading alone is not a good learning process either. Right. So as we as we started looking at the the learning processes it, and and looked at the most effective learning processes, that's what I that's what I started endeavoring to to put into place. 
if you go back and read some of my older blog sites, I, I outlined that process quite a bit in my blog, you know, almost 20 years ago. Uh, but as we, as we started working through that and, and started working with illiterate people, plus the guys that were working for we were, me were literate. They, they often weren't highly literate, but they were literate, at least throughout high school, sometimes high school and Bible school degrees. And, and as I looked at how they learned, uh, they were still oral people, just they, they had learned how to read and write, but they still functioned orally. Mm. So their, their best method of learning was an oral method. And the Discovery Bible Study started out there. So you know, the, the, the one, two, three, four columns that we, we developed, those developed pretty rapidly up front and were shot at by everybody because they said, oh, no, this, this can't be it. This can't really be it. But as we, as we started looking at it, okay, what, what do we want? We want that first column, our foundation. Our, our founding principle is everything is biblical. It comes from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and we said, you know, Bible, principle, practice. Why don't you tell for our viewers, some of our listeners may not know what is inside of those, each of those categories. Why don't you tell us what in each of those categories? Oh, yeah, I will. That's where I'm, I'm going. I'm oh, headed. okay. Sorry. I just... I'm, I'm headed there. <laughs> but, you know, so the, the first column was we're, we're just going to write the Bible. And, okay. and that actually comes out of Deuteronomy when the king, king of Israel was, was commanded to write his own copy of the Torah. Right. So that he would not, so that he would not, sway to the left or to the right from the from the teachings of the Lord. Yeah, Deuteronomy 17. Yeah. Correct. 17, 19. And as you and it, so I said, okay, that's that's our first main thing is our, our foundation is the word of God. It's not my theology. And a lot of people want to do Bible theology or they want to do theology Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then principle and practice. But but still, why do you want to put a theology before the Bible or after the Bible and before principle and practice? I mean, mm-hmm. it just for me that didn't make a lot of sense. If we're looking for the simplest transmission, simple things are learned faster and deeper than complex things. Mm-hmm. So part of the process was how do I boil this down to something that's simple but covers all the bases? Mm-hmm. And that that really was what we were trying to do is get it down to simple and covers all the best. So write it well in oral cultures we couldn't write it. So we would sit there and we would say it and copy it from each other until the whole group could really memorize it orally. And oral people's memorized very quickly. I was astounded how fast they could outstrip me on memorizing. Well, they have to. They have, if That's they right. want to keep anything in memory, they have to. Yeah, and if they're going to go to the grocery store, you know, or go to the market, and mom says, get these items, they had to, they had to come to back with those, those items. items. <laughs> they, and they didn't have a list, you know, it was, it was. I would be here. helpless. I would be like, I don't know what she said. <laughs> so, so as we, as we started playing around with this model, we realized that first we had to say, okay, what's our core, the core scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and biblical theology very quickly became our primary theological model is that uh, we didn't try to add to or take from the Bible. What it said was what it said, and, and we dealt with it and, and worked with it. And we actually came up with a little model, the simple truth simply obeyed became our, our motto. And, mm-hmm. and the second column was, okay, now that you've, you've memorized this, we want you to practice telling it to someone else without it sounding like it's coming off of a script. Mm-hmm. So whether you're memorizing scripture or memorizing a script, whatever it might be, we wanted them to actually 
be able to practice telling it to other people and and get involved in sharing it in such a way. So in the second column, the first column was about learning material or, or the basic biblical material. The second column was, how will you share this in your own words? And let's practice sharing it in our own words so that mm -hmm. it's conversational and not quoting scripture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned the scripture quoting model when I was first learning how to do evangelism. And I quite quickly realized that most of the soon as you start sounding like a Bible, it turns people off. Mm. They wanted to read the Bible, they'd be reading it. They certainly don't want you coming to their front door, knocking on it and, and quoting it to them. Well, it doesn't sound genuine. No, not at all. And so when you start saying, you know, I, you know, I read something really interesting uh, about God today and, and it, it's really changed my thinking. And that's often was, that was my opening line as I learned how to do this was I've learned th something interesting in the Bible today. And if the Bible was offensive, I'd say I'd learned something interesting from God today. And, mm -hmm. and I would, and I, I began to, to use that second column model to practice the, the points that I wanted to make sure that I got into this conversation to make it as conversational as possible. And then the, the third column basically comes uh, from, from James, uh, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, uh, coming to a place of, of understanding that just because we know the word doesn't mean it changes our lives. Yeah. And the Great Commission was, go and teach, teach them to obey everything teach that them I to commanded obey. you. Yeah, not just and, teaching the content. <laughs> yeah, and what really disturbed me when I when I was first studying this, I said, oh, certainly I, I'm I'm not seeing something different here. And I went back to all of my commentaries that I had in my library, and I had a ten thousand volume library at that time. And I went to all the commentators, not a single one of them, not one said, teach obedience. They said, teach the commands of the Lord. Mm. That was basically a teach, teach knowledge, not teach obedience. Wow. And I mean, then, that's clearly not what the verse says. Teach, I mean, even no matter what translation you're talking about, it says teach to observe, teach to obey. I mean, that's, that's a word there. Yeah. You would think that would be the case. When you get into some of these translations, mm. they've actually totally taken out observe and obey at all and just made it Teach the, to teach make the them word. fit what they think it should say. I'm just going to put it up. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's the first thing I do. I have, I have about 30 verses I look at in any new translation, whatever language it's in. And, and if those 30 verses don't hit it on the center of obedience or observance, then, then I, 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 I just trash it. I don't use it. And, and, the, the reality is that observe is also a watering down of obedience. Mm. But observe has a different meaning now than it had. Yeah, back three, then. Four, five, yeah. six hundred years ago. So exactly. those, those things are, we're dealing with. So that, that, third, that third column was, a, was about o obedience. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the next question we would ask now, who are you going to share this with? Mm-hmm. So that became that became a part of uh, part of the process was you've gone through this writing the scripture or learning the scripture practicing it in your own words obeying the scripture personally and then going out and sharing the scripture but the process also as you're training other disciples you train the process mm -hmm. and that was that firmed up pretty quickly I would say within three to four years of of 
the start of the work, we were pretty firmed up at that process. So I know at that particular time, you're you're working through other people to to the Bridgeport. You have people that you have been discipling and training and things, and they turn around and, and <clears throat> hand this off to them. At least that's what I'm I'm understanding at that point. Mm-hmm. That's so. Correct. How did this come about to you? Did did you did you hand them this and say, "Trust me, try it"? Nope. And then what did they, How did that come about? Nope. We would get into groups, and I started using the process to train mm. the actual people you were training. Yeah, the actual people that go. That's how we train. I said, "Let's look at the scripture." Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to sit in groups and talk about the scripture, and how would how would you explain the scripture to others? And it was all an oral process. I mean, the first four years of this was an oral process only. And we didn't start writing it until we got into more literate cultures. So that was, uh, that was the, the trial and error part was how much is it oral? How much of it is writing? How much of it is, is uh, literate? I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, and, and everyone has bits and pieces of styles, but no one's usually a hundred percent anything. So you may be 25% oral and 50% writing and and 20% telling others. Yeah. But even but people the reality, in our even the people in our nation, there's visual learners, auditory learners, you know, people kinetic learn and, learners, yeah. Yes, yeah, mixture. You, yeah. You've got all of those things. And and we all use parts of that. I mean, we mm-hmm. none of us are we may be dominant one thing. Right. But that doesn't mean we there's use other that things exclusively. Involved. There's other ways. There's other ways we we learn how to do things. So, so when you were, when you were talking with them originally and starting to sit down with them and go through this process together to, with them, how was it received at the beginning? When you were oh, they didn't know. Is they didn't realize I was teaching them anything. Mm-hmm. And just you know, I sat down and uh, sometimes we'd have one person read the Bible, and then we would all quote it back, you know, just, mm-hmm. just moving that, that oral, oral type thing going back and forth of, until we all had this two or three verses down. And, and then we'd always, again, read the entire context so that we could recognize that this is not something that's pulled out of context. It had meaning inside of a context. And it was the meaning in the context that we were after, not the meaning if you just isolated the, the passage right. or the words you were <clears> using. And, and, and we would go through that sometimes, you know, it might take us two or three hours just to get through that one, that first column of the scripture and, and saying it in our own words and checking each other. And, and what we learned to do is, is some of our checks and balances inside the process began to develop naturally. Like people would say something wrong and say, well, where did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Or where did you read that? Mm-hmm. They go, well, and said, no, let's go back to the original scripture again, the original passage. That you so just the group remember. correction was, was kind of so it was self-correcting. Mm-hmm. And that was an important aspect that we began to learn early is that if we couldn't self-correct, then we would always have to have an expert witness in every meeting. Right, right. But by teaching self-correction in this process, we got, we got away from having to have expert meetings. And I learned this from watching illiterate people. You could hold up these complex photos or complex paintings, just hold it up for five, 10 seconds and lay it down. And if there were 15, 20 people in the group, they could come up with every element in that photo or that painting. Yeah. And, and, and 
and then they, because they would correct each other, mm-hmm. oh no, it wasn't a black spot; it was a yellow spot. No, it wasn't a you know, and they would, and it wasn't a male; it was a female, and it, you know, they would they would sit there and correct each other, and they keep refining that down until it got to be pretty pretty close. I mean, ninety five percent plus correct on on just a five second look at a at a major painting. The power of groupthink in that particular point. Group so thinking we- and group correction. And and having it go out from from one to many, and then back and forth between the many until everyone agrees that this is what they saw. So, was there any particular part of this that they struggled with more than than others when they were first learning this process? No, it wasn't learning? a struggle. It was a fun process. There you go. It just seemed uh, natural. It wasn't. This wasn't about hey, this. We never talked about school or learning or stuff like this. This was. This is what they did when they sat around their fires at home. They they argue. They love to argue. They, I mean, some of them opine, but most of them argue. <laughs> the ones that opine, we we weeded out those guys early because they they just bore everybody to death and nobody would learn anything. Mm-hmm. But but by by sitting there and, and arguing through this thing about no, it said this, no, it said this. Let's go back and check the scripture again, mm-hmm. and, and they begin to realize that. Hey, this is a great way. They also learned they didn't have to have some expert telling them what scripture said. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessary. Like I said the simple truth simply obeyed became a very early motto that we had and that simple we used truth, all the time. Simply obeyed. Yeah, it, and it it you know, it wasn't this wasn't rocket science so to speak. It wasn't it wasn't theology. This was about the Bible. It wasn't about man's opinion of the Bible that we were learning. We were learning the Bible. Well, in essence, you were learning that theology is simple. It's not this denominational teaching. It's, it's simple. Knowing, learning and knowing about God is not a complicated process necessarily. Yeah, except that when you use the term theology, that is an educational term. Hmm. And it is a philosophical term as well as a theological term. So it, it has a lot of baggage hung on to it that takes away the simple part of it. I mean, yeah. go and read any major theological writing, and what you realize is that uh, there, there's a lot of smoke hiding the fire. <laughs> that, that's, that's the word inside, inside that theology. Right, right. And uh, Kierkegaard is, was one of the theologian philosophers that I, I did a, quite a bit of reading on when I was, I was younger. And my favorite quote from him says, the reason we have theology is to give ourselves permission to disobey the word of God. Ooh, <laughs> good, yeah. good point there, Soren. That was the thing that I began to realize is that even as I read my own denominations, uh, doctrinal statements, uh, I couldn't make them all jive with scripture. Even though they said that this comes from scripture, I couldn't backtrack it and find anything that that would preserve what they said was was from scripture. I endeavored very early to say we're not going to do that. If it's not from the word, uh, we're we're not going to do it. I, I was wanting to ask, you know, when you were when you started, um, you know, doing this with your particular uh, personal disciples and and trainees, or or you like to call them, as who are reaching out to the Butch Purry, you know, how did you start helping them do it with other people? Because that's kind of a difference a little bit sometimes a different skill, right? Is not just personally doing it, but helping somebody else do it. How did you tell them? How did that, how did that go? 
it was all by by example. Mm-hmm. I, I would introduce a passage of scripture. We'd often we would often start in Deuteronomy six. That was usually our kind of our starting point. Then we'd jump over and look at the great commandment. Then we'd jump. You know, I mean, we would. You know, I would take them. I told them this is a guided discovery process. I want you to see the things that the Lord showed me, and then and then you you wrestle with what you see it doing. So you can listen to our full premium content by becoming a five dollar month supporter on a Patreon page. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash faithworks. That's patreon.com slash faithworks or click the link in the description. In part two, we will be continuing to discuss these particular topics of discovering discovery Bible study with with David Watson. So listen to us then. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Like, share, rate, and review to help us get the word out. We can help more people become disciple makers. But thank you so much for supporting this podcast. And thank you so much for being friends of Contagious Disciple Making. And go out there and make disciples. Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at contagiousdisciplemaking.com.